Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us again here on the program. This is a program bringing you new paradigms for a new world, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m., and we're here Monday through Friday from seven, from 8 to 9 a.m., streaming live at all those times at richarddugan.com with podcasts at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, a whole bunch of other locations, too numerous to mention. Uh, and um, we're also... Uh, Video casting. That's right. We have a video cast, uh, if you will, and it is on YouTube and you can uh, watch our conversation, if you will. Our very special guest today is is a returning guest here on the program, uh, Andrew Schmuckler, and we are so grateful to have you back here on the program. It's great to talk to you again. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, you were going to sort of go back in history a little bit, but it's got a present day twist on it, doesn't it? Because uh, we're going to talk, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm going to let you take the lead on this. We're actually talking about the Cold War, which what lasted? What was that from the 50s to the late 80s? The Cold War was definitely started, uh, you know, like 46. 46. Okay. St Stalin was still in control of the Soviet Union, um, and it lasted for over 40 years. Yeah. And because of uh, your observations and your analysis, uh, it looks like we might be headed back there again. Yeah, I've got it. You say, tell me your story. I, I've got a story, which is one of the stories that's that's uh, valid and important, but it's not the whole story, which okay. is um, that 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 the I, I my question is. Will the American victory in the Cold War be reversed? The, the way the Cold War ended was a huge uh, plus in American history. People, uh, first of all, we had survived uh, a difficulty, a challenge that was unprecedented in human history. Would, would these two superpowers get into an all-out nuclear war and end maybe even life on Earth. We lived with that question. That was a pretty a question no previous generations had had to ask. It was a big deal that we wanted because we also saw that we represented something in contrast to what the Soviet Union represented. It, at one level, it was a great power rivalry with great powers struggling for uh, against each other as, you know, like happened between England and Germany for some generations. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, we represented uh, what was called then, uh, the, we were the leader of the free world. That was what the United States identified itself as being. And there was substantial truth in that. Mm -hmm. The Soviet empire was was one in which the uh, uh, the the colonies were compelled to so, to tow the Soviet Union. The, the NATO, the alliance of the free of the free world, was an alliance freely formed by societies that made common cause to defend the idea of democracy against tyranny. Mm -hmm. So. I think that we should understand the free world, the, the Cold War, as having been a, a battle between essentially 
democracy and tyranny is two different models for how the human world is going to be. Well, now, that is it, it what what is interesting, of course, is that I grew up in, uh, well, I suppose you could say heading into the second half of the Cold War, trying to understand what in the world was going on. And obviously, many, many people credit uh, Ronald Reagan with ending the Cold War. Um, with then they love to quote the phrase, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Uh, and that was sort of the the battle cry, so to speak, if you will. Uh, but then, of course, um, if I'm understanding history, uh, we basically had this system, this uh, uh, defense system that was spoken of, but didn't really exist. But we used it, uh, so to speak, um, maybe along the lines of a uh, 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 General Schwarzkopf in, in the in the conversation 90s. back to democracy versus fascism. Right. Right. Because that's just... that's real. Uh, we're talking about democracy sure. versus freedom. OK. And what I'm saying is that one mm -hmm. of the things that is happening right now, we're going to have a showdown in the United States and the um, the outcome could conceivably move what had been the leader of the free world over to the category uh, on the other side that we okay. always, uh, in the direction of tyranny. And and not only um, is that clearly so, but it is clear also that uh, the tyranny that has been ruling Russia, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin took a, what was a possibly a growing democracy and turned it into a a, a new form of Russian tyranny. Mm. Uh, he did it pretty quickly. He did it over, also he did it over a Kirpasin. But now he's so much the tyrant of Russia that he's he's able to single-handedly um, plunge his whole country into a war where hundreds of thousands of their young men are getting ground up in, in, a, in a meat grinder in Ukraine. One man could do that. And I, I, I know... I, uh, go ahead, go ahead. We know um, from the Mueller report that uh, that the Putin regime made a real effort in 2016 to help Donald Trump become president. And they succeeded. I think it was like the, the biggest return on any espionage in the history of the world. What they tried to do, I mean, the question is, without Putin's help, would Trump have been elected? I really don't know the answer to that. It's quite conceivable either way, as far as I'm concerned. There was a, a, a significant effort to be of help, um, and and then when when Trump won, the returns for uh, fascism were such that, uh, uh, that we, he had a president of the United States that would uh, would subvert NATO. I mean, you know, what would be at the top of uh, this Russian tyrant's uh, uh, agenda when he wants to rebuild back to the Soviet Empire, which we know is what he wants. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a guy who's been playing the game to restore Russian power. He thinks the greatest tragedy of the 20th century was the fall of the Soviet Empire and and, and his country ceasing to be a superpower going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the United States. Anyway, he tried with Trump. Whether he determined the outcome or not, 
he definitely got great return for it. I mean, it was just extraordinary. First, uh, uh, Trump uh, did a lot of uh, destroying of Trump, of NATO. Mm -hmm. It had to be put back together when the presidency changed hands. But not only that, but uh, that Trump uh, also, also uh, in that whole first impeachment, was about Trump's illegally trying to serve his own political interests at the cost of American national security because he was weakening Ukraine and Ukraine uh, was strengthening Ukraine against Putin was an American agreed American national interest. Mm. But that whole thing had to do with uh, um, his using the weapons that he was legally required to send to Ukraine to extort something that would be beneficial for him politically even though it was illegal because when you're running for federal office you cannot have any help from a foreign source it's just the law right right well now so he 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 was hurting american national security in ways that helped putin and so there is a natural alliance there and if he gets elected in november the things he's saying are basically making our promising a regime that's a lot more putin-like well, see, that's the one thing that I, I'm I'm so perplexed by is the fact that there is that. I mean, people are saying that, yeah, there's the real possibility he could be reelected. And then we go down this road again for another four years. Or if he manages to be successful in subverting, as he's even said, the Constitution of the United States uh, it could go on even longer, although it, what what bothers me is where are the good people in this country, just as there are good people in Russia, to stand up and say, no, we will not tolerate this. I think that, um, let me say this about that, as Dick Nixon used to say. <laughs> uh, I feel some frustration also. Um you know, there, there's a there's a line in um, William Butler Yeats, the great early 20th century poet. The good lack all conviction, while the evil are filled with a passionate intensity. Mm. And there is an element of that. In, but you say, stand up. I look at all these. Um, you know, the, this. The man who's the center of the fascistic force in America today, Donald Trump, an extraordinary man. He's uh, telling us what he's going to do. Mm -hmm. And it's not at all hidden. So we I'll tell you why I'm. Um, optimistic about the survival of American democracy. I won't say I'm not worried. Uh, I, worry is so buried deep inside me, I couldn't not be worrying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I, in order to uh, vote for Donald Trump, one of two things has to be true of you. Either you want that kind of a government you know, that's going to use the law to punish the people you don't like, you know, ungoverned by law itself, uh, a law unto itself uh, mm -hmm. uh, and and willing to find scapegoat 
groups that uh, fascism always finds uh, on whom people can wreak their uh, feelings of, of vengeance. I and mean, we've seen fascism around the world and we can see uh, the nature of this thing here today. But uh, uh, th th there's, you either got to want that or you got to be uh, able to believe the lies of a, of the greatest liar that history has ever known mm -hmm. in the face of mountains of evidence that show that the, the opposite is the truth from what uh, this guy is saying. And yet these people are also intelligent. So it's a mystery to me how it happens, but there are a lot of fairly intelligent people who seem not to be able to, to see something which is as clear as anything I've ever seen in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I, I, I know that there are a lot of Americans who, who apparently do want a strongman government, do like the idea of a fascist leader as long as he's on their side. Right, right. Um, uh, and, and, and I can see, even if I can't understand, that there are tens of millions of Americans who, who believe things that are so obviously untrue. I, 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 it boggles my mind that they believe them. But I don't think that most Americans fall into either of those categories. And so I think there will be a, a strong American majority to reject going down that path. Uh, some recognition that the, right. the, that the system our founders gave us was a great blessing. And yet the accusation will ha has been made and will be continually made. This is part of the problem. This is part of what you're referring to. The lie is that the system is rigged. Uh, in other words, again, it goes back to, well, if I win, and this is the bizarre thing, even when he won, he wasn't happy. He didn't win enough. He didn't win big enough. Um, but you, if the system is rigged, you can't have it both ways. I mean, a logically thinking person says you can't have it both ways. Well, here's how I look at it. My whole life's been devoted to um, truth seeking and truth saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I may sound pretentious, but, you know, it is basically who I am. And, and, and when I ran for Congress here in this two to one Republican congressional district in, in uh, Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, when I ran for Congress, I, I, I gave uh, a speech uh, in, in which I explained why I wasn't really my, my dad had told me why I wasn't cut out to be a politician. And the reason was that I insist on saying what I really think. And then I say, but now, anyway, the truth is so, the, the lie is so often defeating the truth. And this is 2012 mm -hmm. that I felt yeah. like, like truth telling needs its champions. That we need to find some way. I don't know how to do this. If all the decent, intelligent people out there could stop believing obvious lies mm -hmm. and be moved toward the truth. So this thing that I wrote about the Cold War, mm -hmm. it's a strategy I have of trying to reach uh, the, the Republican uh, base that I live among. Um, I, I know these, a lot of these people are, you know, in their hearts, genuine patriots. Oh. 
in, in, in a lot of the good ways that mm -hmm. you know yeah are celebrated mr smith goes to washington and other uh, other patriotic uh, uh movies but they took a great patriotic pleasure when ronald reagan and gorbachev let's not leave him out of the picture helped end the cold war without the catastrophe that we had all feared and that almost took place in 62 that we we felt so uh uh proud of america yeah the leader of the free world like when eisenhower went uh, after world war ii as president to various countries and hundreds of thousands of people around the world would throng around the american president because he was such a hero having saved the world from tyranny in world war ii yeah, I, I, I think I understand from the inside the patriotism that some Americans feel. Mm -hmm. and, and I use this whole thing about the American victory in the Cold War being reversed as a way to try to bring them into seeing if they're about to vote for Donald Trump, they're also reversing the American victory in the Cold, helping to reverse it. And we we took pride in being the leader of the free world. This guy's telling us he's going to destroy the free world as a unified thing. Did you hear what Trump said about NATO over the weekend? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, why don't you articulate that for the mm. folks listening? It, it, it's, it is somewhat astounding. Uh, I've even heard, uh, and I, I read the, the text, the context of the, uh, uh, of um, some stuff that was on social media by him in reference to the Constitution of the United States of America. And when these politicians, along with members of the military and other branches of our government, when they um, take their positions, they swear an oath to do what? Protect and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. This whole 14th Amendment is about the importance of the oath yeah. as, as a commitment. If you can't believe the guy taking the oath now because he already took it before and then violated uh, that oath, you should not have, he should not be uh, entrusted with the power uh, uh, of public office ever again. Let me, let me ask you a, a hypothetical here. We know what happened in World War II under uh, Germany's leader at the time. And one of the things that has been said, I don't know how true this is, is that nobody really believed that what eventually did happen could happen even under him. Are we in the same situation where people who support uh, this you know, president number 45, they they're sitting there going, no, that'll never happen. And yet we're kind of heading down that same road. Here's what I want to say. I've never given so much effort to answering any question. I've, I've spent my whole life basically asking big questions and, and come writing books or presenting my big answers. Mm -hmm. I have been 
almost obsessed with the effort to understand how decent people can be moved to support something which is the opposite of decent and where intelligent people can be put into a frame of mind where they'll believe what the least bit of intelligence would show can't be, shouldn't be believed. It's the opposite. I've probably written several dozen um, essays on that and published mm -hmm. them as op-eds as part of my way of uh, challenging um, the good, intelligent people to align their politics again with what's good. And I, I did talk radio out here in the early 90s and for mm -hmm. a decade. I really loved the people that I talked with uh, who are you know, part of this very red Trumpy uh, culture. Uh, I, I had a ringside seat to see something get hap happen to them. Uh, which I don't understand how it happened. I, yeah. I've tried. Uh, I've really tried. But and and I don't know what it'll take to bring them back. But um, it is clear that something happened between, say, 1992, and Trump's coming to power and it becoming the Trump Party. Something very profound happened, um, and we Americans are going to need to not only not let them dictate the path ahead but also find some way of bringing them back to the level of either uh, uh, to whatever it is they need to be brought back to for them to be uh, uh, the kind of citizens a, a democracy needs uh, so that people don't support the coming to power of the spirit of fascism. Mm. Either to open their eyes or to convince People who are American patriots, that part of the patriotism must again be that we stand for the American uh, truth, justice in the American way, as the Superman used to put it. We're talking with Andrew Schmuckler, and uh, we're talking about uh, the struggle between freedom and tyranny and uh, the the uh, successes, if you will, uh, the benefits of the ending of the Cold War in the late 80s, early 90s could be reversed uh, in possibly very short order if, and again, I, I don't, I, I'm letting Andrew uh, address these, but I'm asking the questions as to, um, uh, you know, the, the, the phrase has often been said over and over and over again. And, you know, that if we do not, uh, uh, if we refuse to learn from history, we are doomed to repeat it. And even though you're re making reference to uh, the, the aspect of, um, the successes, the, you know, the achievements following the end of the cold war could be reversed. You know, it's basically, yeah, we're, it looks like we're going right back to where we were uh, in the uh, late thirties, early forties. The fundamental question that's faced civilization for millennia is how will power uh, be apportioned and how will it be used? Mm -hmm. Uh, the the subtitle of the my uh, main book, uh, the Parable of the Tribes, is the problem of power in social evolution. The, this is uh, the, w when civilization first arose. It arose in the form of tyranny. And, and my mission, and you know, I'm a man on a mission. My mission is to convey to um, whoever is willing to look into the situation that our species stepping onto the path of civilization unleashed a destructive force. Uh, 
and that what's going on in America is part of a battle that's been going on since the rise of civilization. There are human needs, and then there's what rises to power in a, a, a system where power is not controlled. We've seen what, when there's anarchy, what rises to the top is warlords or gangsters. Mm -hmm. And we can see it in history and recent history. I've seen it in Lebanon and Somalia in my lifetime. Warlords, gangsters, they take over because the situation is ungoverned. Our species, this is one of the things I feel like we got to understand the dynamic between, behind our history, which has got to do with we unleashed a force when we took a step that had never been taken in the history of life on Earth. That history goes back more than three and a half billion years. Mm -hmm. It's only about 10,000 years, billions versus thousands of years, that we've got a species, us, that takes a step Anyway, that if people are interested in seeing whether I can show some important things about the meaning of human, the human story, please go to uh, a betterhumanstory.org, where the battle between Trump and Biden that's coming up in November is part of a very big picture in which humankind may ultimately will decide whether humankind can get its act together to survive on this planet for the long haul, which I regard as only a toss-up, or whether it will culminate the story of civilization on this planet in some mm. form of self-destruction, some self-inflicted catastrophe. And I think it's a toss-up which one it'll be. Mm. I saw something, uh, and it was actually a humorous thing online uh, a couple of weeks ago in reference to uh, the two major candidates who supposedly are going to be going at it uh, on election day, uh, 2024, uh, and it says that the average uh, the the uh, average death uh, age uh, for males in the United States is 75 and a half years of age. Biden is 81. Trump is 78. Don't you think we should be more concerned about who the vice president is going to be? Uh, and that's just kind of putting a humorous spin on the whole thing, because I have to wonder which one of them is going to go first. Um, you know, Let I mean, me say, we don't live forever. I think that, you know, whatever one thinks about Biden, and I actually have a pretty high opinion of him in terms of his the capability he's brought to getting things done in, in office. But whatever we think of him, the, the, the reality is, unless something surprising happens and we don't get the choice that looks almost inevitable right now, uh, that Joe Biden is going to be um, the champion of American democracy and the rule of law and the Constitution and those things, because that's just the way the battle has shaped up. And if he's I mean, not everybody. Some people think he should withdraw because of age. Mm -hmm. um, uh, leaving that question aside, it doesn't look like he's going to. Mm -hmm. And he, so if you believe in the American system, um, it, it's a bit disturbing that he's as old as he is. But everybody who, uh, other than what this, this hit job they just got done on him, the people who've worked with him, including even Bibi Yonatanayahu, who is no friend of his in Israel, said, no, he's really with it. You know, it was this false picture. So 
if he's going to have to deal with um, with that age issue, and uh, there's no getting around it. No. Between 82 and 86, you don't know what's going to happen. The probabilities are not shifting advisedly. And I, I'm getting very aware of this kind of thing as I approach my 78th birthday and watch my friends and relations and stuff like that. My, mm. uh, You know, I wouldn't even, as putting aside what they would do, I wouldn't think that uh, uh, it was a safe bet that either of them would be in good shape uh, when the, the the next president's inaugurated in, in 2029. Yeah. Um, uh, so what I advise uh, uh, Biden to do, I'm assuming actually that though he's older, he would come out of a reputable medical establishment uh, with a better report than Donald Trump would. I don't know that. Trump is a very strong animal, clearly. But my guess is that the findings would be more to Trump's, to Biden's advantage. And so I would have him challenge Trump. Let's both get ourselves fully examined by the best medical examiners in the country with the agreement that all the results, both with respect to our physical condition and our mental condition, that will tell them everything they should know as citizens when they decide who to vote for, mm. to be president from 2025 to 2029. Andrew Schmuckler is my guest. We're uh, talking about the uh, struggle, the challenges facing us in reference to the difference between freedom and tyranny. There are many people who already say that we are under tyranny and by our own government because every, there are those who say that, oh, we've lost this right and that right and our, this freedom and that freedom. And I... I I challenge that assertion only from the standpoint that I still have the the First Amendment rights that no one's taken those away from me uh, during COVID. I would say, you know, people would argue that uh, they're they're taking away my First Amendment rights by telling me to do this, that and the other thing. And I would use the phrase, well, wait a minute, I I'm exercising my First Amendment rights Nobody's taken them away. I'm choosing to, and I did the three things they would tell us to do. So I'm curious as to um, those people who feel that they, they feel that way, that, that every day a new right is taken away. Let me, let me jump in on that. Please. Um, there's a, I think there's something um, a little weird. Um, I mean, this is, I think we're only talking about a fringe on the right, like okay. that guy Bundy in, in, in like Nevada, you know, the, the, the whole family sort of makes a profession out of uh, declaring themselves uh, not under, not uh, subject to any kind of American authority or law or right. anything, uh, you know, and, and, and we saw that also in, in a little bit less grotesque form, but I found it plenty grotesque. You know, if you've got an ap epidemic, a pandemic that's serious, that's killing people by the thousands, um, we hadn't had that kind of thing since 1918, 19. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, a lot of people died. A lot of people were dying in the United States with this pandemic. And, and so various um, governmental authorities instituted what has long been a part of um, sort of the authority of the state 
to deal with, um, you know, like requiring certain things. Mm -hmm. um, and, and all of it, you know, these people who feel like uh, having to wear a mask in public while there's a pandemic going on that's killing, you know, thousands of people a day. That is a huge, you know, that, there's something weird because I say that because I believe that we have a record in, in the United States and in Great Britain and in France that people recognize that under certain circumstances, like having to do with uh, pestilence mm -hmm. or plague, that steps are going to have to be taken to protect the whole. Right. Even though they infringe upon what had been the usual freedom of, you know, quarantines and various things like that, it it just makes sense. And I so I think there's something weird going on when people feel like, uh, and, and I've encountered this some, but I don't think there are very many people out there that are crazy. Yeah. But there is that kind of craziness yeah. out there, and, and and they do seem to be dangerous. There was a case recently by about a guy who, um, uh. I think he was shot to death in an interaction with Colorado police. Mm. Wow. And the reason he, he did, he was a sovereign citizen, meaning nobody could tell him anything about what he could or couldn't do. Right. Or what he must do. He did not recognize that the police, for example, had any authority over him because he was a sovereign citizen. I think that if you look deeply into how these things come into being, I mean, it's obvious that we got to make, you know, accommodations together. You know, th this world is simply not going to work if it's every if it's a war of all against all. Yeah, you know, there is. There's got to be something like law because we've seen what happens when there's lawlessness and, mm -hmm. and thugs rise to power. Yeah. You know, it's it's and I, I often quote uh, uh, the lines from the uh, the preamble. Uh, to uh, promote the general welfare and preserve the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Well, that's where I am exercising, in this case, they talked about it, I'm exercising uh, my First Amendment rights by masking up, by washing my hands and by staying six feet away from other people because I sure as heck no more than uh, would I want to be handling a firearm and accidentally it goes off and I kill someone. Or in the case of uh, I was driving one day and I made a left turn down this one street and I hit a guy. Now, he he got up and he walked away. But still, I I, I don't want to have to deal with that in my own psyche uh, in that respect. So I don't want to be responsible for possibly spreading this and maybe even killing someone uh, in that, that some process. People, it seems that some people grow up with a feeling about authority. Yeah, yeah. Um, from whatever experience it is, but I'm imagining. Yeah. I haven't, I, I've had some experience as a psychotherapist, but I don't know factually about any of this. But my guess is that uh, underlying something like this guy declaring himself a sovereign citizen. If you went back far enough, I would think you would find an experience with authority that was really, really, really not okay. Yeah. Um, you know, if you if your father has dealt with you, you know, with love and uh, respect, um, yeah. you're 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 not going to chafe. I mean, I don't mind. Uh, you know that I'm uh, subject to a, a whole 
body of laws that yeah most of which most of which are good ones you sure. know i live in a very decent society and, and and if you were crazy enough to think that you're a sovereign citizen asking the question what if everybody was a sovereign citizen the answer is it would become a tyranny yeah the the warlords would rise to the top yeah this whole conversation uh, that we are having here has to do with uh, many questions that, that have come to mind. I don't necessarily have the answers. Andrew Schmuckler, my guest, is, has formulated some, uh, some answers and responses and so forth. And we're grateful for his uh, being on the program with us on a regular basis. We've had him on quite a number of times to talk about uh, similar, similar con uh, some subjects, I should say. Um, do you still in in everything that we've thus far talked about do you still have faith in the american people my well, buddy had a yeah my buddy had a bumper sticker a very short little bumper sticker that said uh i love my country it's the government i don't trust and so he would help other fellow americans he would be there if there was a need uh, and so forth. Do you still have that same faith uh, in that regard? First of all, the, the in the America I grew up in, the American government was a positive thing. Uh, it served a lot of good in a lot of ways. Um, had imperfections, of course. But the, the American, I trusted appropriately, for the most part, the American government under Truman, under Eisenhower, um, and even under, it was Vietnam that uh, subverted the, the feeling of trust. Mm -hmm. But I could trust, you know, we've had some difficulties and issues over trust. But for the most part, until it became the Trump government, there were, there were a lot of things you could trust government to do. Uh, that's not the case anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what the issue is in, in action that we now face. So that's what I want to stress is that we've come to a kind of a showdown. There's a guy who was impeached twice, who ran for office and who lost in a in a reasonably close, but also reasonably, but an extremely clearly lost and became the first man in the history of the country to lose a presidential election and refuse to accept it. But even his own uh, security guy, internet educate election security guy said it was the cleanest and most secure election in American history. It's just quite clear, but he a rematch rematch because he was somehow able to, in spite of trying to overthrow an election, he did an extraordinary achievement. Incredible that a guy could do what he did right in front of our eyes about January 6th and overturning an election and mm -hmm. the whole campaign leading up to January 6th. To be able to do that right out front and to get a whole lot of people to stick with you and to make you the presumptive nominee of a major American political party and to get the Supreme Court to say, well, 
we don't have to think about, did this guy, is he an insurrectionist? Is he what the 14th Amendment requires that we remove from the ballot because we don't want to have power in the hands of somebody who has already violated his oath? The, the, the oath of office that every that our founders put uh, required of everyone because they recognized that playing by those rules was essential to what they were trying to achieve to allow us to be a free people. The rules by which how we deal with conflict. If you lose an election, you concede defeat and leave the stage. That's what's required. Hmm. That's you know, the covenant that we reached with each other when we put out that constitution that got ratified by all the states. Right. Well, you know, it's going to be a very interesting um, another, what is it, uh, 10 months or so, roughly. Um, and, and we'll see what happens, uh, is specifically on the legal end, um, because I, I read the, uh, the 14th Amendment, including the third clause in reference to uh, insurrection. And I don't see anything, anything in there that says that uh, someone has to have been um, uh, arrested, tried and convicted. It just says involved. Quite in. right. And well, I think the Supreme Court copped out is basically they yeah. didn't want to get their hands on it. Well, the Supreme Court already made a mess of things in one respect back in 2001 uh, by and this is just my observation by deciding that election because uh, that's really what they did they made the decision as to who was going to be the next president by telling florida nah, no more counting stop and um a lot of people's votes weren't counted and so they were disenfranchised uh the other question that i've got for people who um argue this whole business from 2016 to 2020 and so forth is Okay, you won in 2016. Uh, your man won, but there was no uh, there was no contesting of, uh, of the majority of the states that actually gave him the office. Uh, nor in 2020, it's just like if you're going to test one, why don't you test all 50 states? You know, you claim that it was rigged. I, I, I've I've never understood that. I mean, it may be a moot point that I'm bringing up, but I just kind of, as an observer of this process, just like you are, uh, these questions come up. It's like, well, come on, you know, finish the job. You know, if you don't think it was right, then complete the job and, and, and find out from all of the States, not just a select few that you think are the problem. But then you yeah, had after 2020, you had different States decide we're going to change the rules in our state. And it's like, but the system wasn't broken. At least that's, that's my understanding. What's we your, to, what's your uh, thought in that regard? If you, if you care to address that. I would, I, I think that. Um, Donald Trump. Has. Uh, exposed some kind of vulnerability um, in the American people. There, there's no reason why an intelligent person would believe for a second because of all the public evidence that's been heaped up out there that um, the election was stolen from Donald Trump. 
Mm -hmm. We've never known so fully the election was legitimate and the outcome with Joe Biden winning was legitimate. This has been established with 60 court cases, a bunch of recounts. I mean, we've never went, gone through that. And in addition, you could watch how from June to election day, Trump was preparing the way to pretend that he had had the election stolen from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You could see it happening. I mean, I don't know how you could not see it. I mean, if you couldn't see that, you probably wouldn't be able to understand any movie made for anybody over eight years old. <laughs> I mean, it was just he he was out there on the stage. He was preparing the way yeah. to say he'd been robbed. Yeah. And, and all the all the polls showed Biden ahead by five or six percent. I mean, there's no no great uh, uh, uh mystery yeah. about how it is that Biden won when it looked like he was going to win uh, continuously the whole yeah. time from yeah. all the polls. And it was fairly close. You, you you could change the outcome by moving some tens of thousands here and there. But it was still a very definitive. It was the same definitive outcome that made Trump president exactly the same numbers. But with the added thing that uh, whereas Trump lost the popular vote to become president, right? Biden won by seven million more, and a lot of people, including me, think that we should have a national po popular vote for president and and stop giving a lot more power to people in states like you know where, where there's no people. Yeah, yeah. The electoral college is really a way of robbing uh, power from. Uh, big states uh, and giving it to uh, little states. Yeah. And I see no reason why that should, I mean, I understand, I think, why they put it into the Constitution. But, you know, a lot of things have changed in the 220 or whatever years. Which then raises the question for me, do you think, uh, uh, as an observer, uh, as someone who is concerned about these things, that, uh, and again, I'm not advocating the abolishment, okay? Don't get me wrong, folks. But my question to you, Andrew, is do you think that the Constitution was not designed to govern the, the, the population, the size that we have? I mean, think about the what was the population back when they had the 13 yeah. colonies and the Revolutionary War? The Constitution had its problems in the electoral system. Mm -hmm. And there are other measures also. The small states at the Constitutional Convention were afraid of being overwhelmed by the big states. And so in order to entice them into the joining, a lot of concessions were made to the small states. But that was a completely different situation when they'd been uh, sovereign colonies and were not part of the United States of America. Like we've got over two centuries of experience. We don't need to protect uh, Rhode Island or my or or Wyoming from New York and California. And we don't need to give those people more power in saying who our president's going to be. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what's the point of that? And maybe and, and we also built in, you know, the, they they did a marvelous job, but they didn't necessarily foresee all the ways it was going to work. Yeah. That three fifths clause they put in that empowered big slave owners. That was a big mistake as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But it's a beautiful thing. It, it allows us to function in a way that have allowed generations of Americans to live lives that haven't been possible for a whole lot of people in the history of human civilization. Which is, of course, the other reason why so many people come to this country. I was having a conversation with a gentleman just uh, uh, before this, before our conversation. And 
we were talking about the situation uh, uh, primarily, obviously, at the southern border. And I said, first of all, uh, it is not the president's job, regardless of which president it is. It doesn't matter to sign executive orders to solve this problem at our southern border. It's Congress's job. But Congress refuses to do its job. That was part of it. But then Trump, the other the other Trump element wants. Go Trump ahead. Wants the, 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 Trump told the, the Republicans in the Congress he didn't want them to solve the immigration problem. He wanted that issue to be there for him to politic on. Exactly. And I'm not I'm not making that up. I oh, mean, no, I know. It is out there. It is out there, you know, almost like a, uh, like it's not tricky dick, be, be drunken uh, tirades at portraits uh, be, yeah. during Watergate. This is right out there. Yeah. Well, then there's the other part of it, too. And, and that is, why are these people traveling and putting their lives in jeopardy, crossing hundreds, if not thousands of miles to come to this country? And I say, and, and my observation is, I'm not saying they shouldn't come. My question is, what is so wrong in their countries that they're coming here? Why can they not fix the problems that are forcing them to make this decision? Let me, let me address that a little bit. First of all, I'm two generations removed from the pogroms mm -hmm. when villagers, you're, you too? Yeah, we got two minutes. In, 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 oh, I see. That's what you're saying. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I thought. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm two generations. That's not the, you know, the, one should not take for granted what our founders gave us. And you can see that there is an assault on that. And you can see that when we when people choose the path of fascism, a lot of destructive things end up happening. Mm. You, you get not only these invasions of Poland in 39 and Ukraine in, in 22, but you, you, get, you get the whole world convulsed and, and waves of migration and people traumatized and all kinds of ugly things can happen. And the human decency took a very great step forward when the American Constitution got created. It is our job to protect that because it is now under threat. And if we can bring this to a conclusion here as we're wrapping up this program, uh, what would be your summation, even though I know we've only scratched the surface on this? And by the way, the last thing I ever want to see of the last eight to 10 years is a made for TV movie. Okay. I've already lived through it. I don't want to go through it again. What's your summation here? I would like to see the better part of America rally to this moment that, and to use oratory uh, information advertising to maximize the proportion of the American people who can see what's at stake in this election, who can see, for example, Donald Trump for exactly what he is, and who can see what the nature of the force is that, that would take power with him if he were elected. Mm. 
And I think that the, that there is a room for people to be uh, out there uh, conveying in a, in a way that touches and moves people mm -hmm. to celebrate the advantages that Americans have had for so many generations that are dependent on, on our constitutional system and to uh, give them a sense of what it is the other side represents in, mm -hmm. in, in some tangible ways, like uh, get people to visualize in their own minds what we all now know Donald Trump did physically to a very decent woman yeah. without her consent. And then fixed, which fits in with the tape of him bragging about something that I've never known any man who would brag about sexually mm -hmm. assaulting women. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. there is something about the man that's yeah. exposed there. And, and I, I don't know what the what this campaign of opening Americans' eyes to the reality that's in front of us, because the stakes could not be greater. Yeah. But I I, I hope that the, 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 the side of American democracy will do a historically effective job, because I think two-thirds of the American people would make the right decision and that would help to save American democracy because that would be a landslide beyond what uh, what uh, Reagan got over Mondale, beyond what uh, Johnson got over Goldwater, beyond what FDR got over Alf Landon. This yeah. would be huge. And I think the country would be greatly strengthened by such a display. Well, uh, uh, Andrew Schmuckler, I want to thank you once again for joining us. Give us that website once again for people they can find out more about you and the work you're doing and, and some of your articles. Well, thank you for that invitation. Yeah, my name is Andrew Schmuckler, and I think that that can be Googled to, to good effect. <laughs> um, and and uh, I've built... Uh, I've built my best effort to convey what I think would be valuable to convey... Uh, on my website, uh, betterhumanstory.org. Uh, right. It deals with the immediate American crisis that we're talking about, mm -hmm. and it deals with the larger challenge facing humankind about whether we're going to survive for the long haul or destroy ourselves. Well, I know that uh, you and I will both do our parts. We won't go into that, but we will do what we can do. And I thank you for doing what you have done by sharing this with us here on the program. Well, I am grateful to you, Richard, for a chance to talk with you and 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 through the technology to talk with, I don't know how many other people to um, talk about the situation we find yeah. ourselves in. Once again, thank you. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true until our next broadcast, podcast, video cast. Love to lol. Jeanette, I am still listening. Dad, continue to be happy because I am. To my friend Smokey, I'll see you on the other side. And to my dear friend Zorro, aho, aho.